mentioned Jeremy. I feel very loved by all of you, and I hope you feel very loved by us. I hope you feel the Father's love this morning. Hey, let's, let's pray again. Holy Spirit, you're in charge, and you're really good at leading us. So we just lean back into your arms again. Ask God that you would open our eyes to see you in new ways today. Holy Spirit, that you would well up inside of us that you would even be speaking to, into our own stories and pulling out glorious truths from our past. Father, that you would speak to us about who we are in your eyes, who you are in us. God, we ask that you would use scripture to make us wise, happy, free children. <laughs> we love you, Lord. Amen. <sighs> Well, we had, um, we had men's breakfast this week, this last Wednesday morning. It's on the second and fourth Wednesdays. And we had this conversation just kind of organically spring up. Um, and it was about you know, following the path of life and taking risks uh, you know, and everything that kind of comes along with that, not sweating the small stuff, believing that God is, you know, can redeem even our mistakes, you know, stepping out in faith, you know, and it's like a risk, it was like these ideas of risk-taking. And, and in the breakfast, we had, I mean, it was really fitting because we had four guys at breakfast who had recently moved, you know, from across, moved their families across the country to our city and are coming to our church. And so it's on the forefront of their minds because they're taking big risks and following the Holy Spirit as best they can. You know, and along those lines, can, I, can we get a show of hands of who's moved to the Frisco area from a great distance in the last year? Hey. <clears throat> yeah, welcome. Um, you belong. And we love you, and we hope that you can just kind of set down your luggage, you know? <laughs> Metaphorically and physically. <laughs> and find deep friendships, find, find family here. Um, and I wanna commend everybody who's been taking these kinds of risks and, and following God. Um, and so um, <clears throat> I just wanna to kind of bring the whole church into some of the conversation that we were having. This morning, the Lord reminded me of something that happened to me, through me, and for me about 17 years ago. Um, I was a student at a ministry school in South Carolina for a little while, and I woke up this one Saturday and had a lazy morning, and sometime late in the morning, I felt like God would, wanted me to go on a walk with him, and, you know, it, it's kind of like what ministry school students do, you know, we're all mystical, and we think, oh, I'm going to go on a walk with Jesus this morning, the lover of my soul, and so... Um, <laughs> And so I did. I just uh, put on my shoes, grabbed my, my wallet and my 2003 uh, Razor flip phone. Anybody else have a Razor? You knew you were cool if you had a Razor. Come on. Uh, <laughs> and I walked out the door, you know, just going to and enjoy whatever God might have for me. 
Uh, I didn't make it like 100 yards out my door before uh, my friends pulled up. Rachel and, and Cody pulled up in this forerunner, rolled down the windows and said, hey, we're gonna go to King's Pinnacle on a hike. Do you wanna come with us? And I was like, what's King's Pinnacle? And they're like, it's about two hours away. It's a day hike. If we start there now, we can make it up the, to, the, to the peak for sunset. And being that I had absolutely no obligations at that point in my life, I just hopped in the car and said, sure, let's do it. And so off we went to King's Pinnacle. We got there and, you know, if you've been to the Carolinas, it's like almost always a beautiful drive no matter where you go. And um, we started hiking up this mountain and it was fun, it was refreshing, it was rejuvenating. And we got probably three quarters of the way up when Cody said, hey, I, I wanna spend some time, just me and the Lord, so I'm gonna go off on this other trail over here. We're like, okay, cool. So it was just me and Rachel now, no romance, just walking up <laughs> this mountain. <laughs> just wanted to preemptively you know, get there before maybe your mind's dead. We just <laughs> preemptively, you know, we're walking up this mountain, we get to the peak and we see uh, some people yeah, at this kind of gathering point, there's like two or three other hikers. We get there just as the sun is setting. It's super beautiful. It's like this great moment, like everything lined up. And while the sun was dipping down, these other hikers walked off and we just kind of soaked in the moment a little bit longer. And then I, I noticed that there's actually a slightly higher part on the mountain. And if you're a dude or like me or an adventurous woman, uh, that's cool too. I had to, I had to go for it. I had to like try to figure out how to get higher on this mountain. And so I said to Rachel, hey, there's, looks like there's a little deer trail over here up to a higher point. You wanna go for it? And she's like, yeah. And so we started going up this smaller trail. And at this point, the sun is mostly like gone. Like there's, there's not tons of light anymore. And we get a little ways up this trail and we hear this loud rustling of leaves. And, and then I hear screaming like you wouldn't imagine. And I saw a body flash by the edge of the mountain just before it left my line of sight where the edge of the cliff was. And I, when we heard this screaming, ah, until snap silence. And I turn to Rachel and I say, no way did we just see someone fall off the cliff. And I took off running, like adrenaline filled my body. And I'm like bounding from rock to rock, like running up this hill and Rachel's, you know, trailing behind and, and I'm trying to get to the point, like trying to find the spot where like this woman fell off the cliff and, and I see uh, this area where the, the, the top of the, the ledge is angled like this down to a like sheer drop off and there's all these pine needles and it's pure like granite and there's a trail of pine needles that is gone that looks exactly like where she just slid off this thing like it was a slide. And I was trying to get out there, but it was really slippery myself. And so we're like pushing all the pine needles away. Rachel grabs a tree, reaches out her hand. I grab her hand and I look out and lean over the cliff and 100 to 150 feet down is an unconscious woman lying in her blood. Both of her femurs are broken. I know this because the bones are jutting out of her pants. 
Sorry, I'm, you're going to remember this story. Um, <clears throat> and I'm looking down there, and I yell the dumbest thing, are you okay? And she kind of comes to and just screams, my legs, my legs. And I shout, you're going to be okay, as she starts passing. She passes out again. She's unconscious. And so Rachel pulls out her phone. There's no signal. I mean, this is 17 years ago. Networks were horrible. We're up on a mountain, and it's a flip phone. And so, but I pull, I, I pull out my phone, and there's one little bar. I call 911, and it goes through. And I'm like, you're not going to believe this. We're at the top of King's Pinnacle. Someone fell off. And they're like, okay, tell us exactly, like, what direction are you looking? You know, do you see any landmarkers? And as I'm talking to 911, I see in the, the closest town. We're so high up on this mountain. We see the closest town. Um, out pulls a, a fire engine. We can see it you know, miles off in the distance, and we know that it's coming towards us. It's circling around the mountain to get to the parking. And basically, we have to wait there for rescuers to hike in for two hours. And I so badly wanted to get down to her, but there was no way to get down there except for the way that she took. And, and, I, and so we're just praying. We're, we're, we're praying in tongues, and I immediately, I start commanding her blood to clot. I'm saying, clot blood in the name of Jesus. You won't bleed out in Jesus' name. And I'm shouting down to her, you're gonna be okay. And we feel helpless, but we're there in this moment and we're, we're directing crews up the mountain every once in a while. They were able to call back in. They finally found their way to us, rappelled down and hiked her out on a, um, a stretcher, but she never like regained consciousness from what we could see after those first few moments. And I got down, back down the hill, and there were news crews all around. They took my statement. We drove back to our apartment um, complex, and, and I turn on the late, late, late night news, and they're covering the story, and they, they're quoting me on the news. And they say, miraculously, her blood clotted. She's in the ICU, but like, it looks good. What if when Rachel and Cody pulled up in their forerunner, I said to them, no, I'm supposed to walk alone with Jesus today. What if I forgot my phone? I was the only one on that mountain with any cell phone coverage. Or what if when we got up to the sunset, we called it good and started going back down instead of me having that adventurous spirit in me wanting to go up that trail a little bit further? Can you put up the verse John 3, 8 for me? Nicodemus in this verse has pulled Jesus aside and he's asking him some intense questions and Jesus is giving him some very mysterious answers. And this is one of the things that Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. I want you to focus on this, one of these words here. It says, the wind blows wherever it 
pleases or wherever it wishes. So I went ahead and looked up that word, and sure enough, it means like wherever it pleases. <laughs> it means like wherever, whatever gives the wind pleasure is where the wind will go. Where, where the wind desires, that's where the wind will go. And it started to uh, remind me of Psalm 115. This is God. It says, God sits on high and does what he pleases. Or another translation, it says, he does what brings him pleasure. So why, why am I bringing up these verses right now? Because I followed my desires that morning. And it ended up being the Holy Spirit leading me to one of the most important moments of my life to save the life of another person. And, and if I had at any given moment taken a, a different direction or like given into a religious mindset, like, no, God wants me to walk on this walk alone. And I'm not saying that that's always the case or that's not always a religious mindset, but what I did in that moment is I followed my heart because Jesus has taken our heart of stone and given us a new one, and he's written his laws on it, hasn't he? A lot of people will revert back to this Old Testament way of thinking that our heart is deceived, deceptively wicked above all things, and you can't trust it. Well, Jeremiah, that, that was the problem for which Jesus is the solution. That was the question for which Jesus is the answer. See, we're, we're, this life, it's like God hands us a thousand or a 10,000 piece puzzle and we're just trying to figure it out. That's how life was before Jesus came along and gave us a picture of the box of the puzzle. Could you imagine putting together a 10,000 piece puzzle without the box? Jesus came and said, let me show you the father and let's put this puzzle together. So what I'm not saying, of course, uh, here's what I am saying. God often tricks us. No, God often uses the very desires of our heart to be the leading that he wants in our life. He's given us gifts and callings and anointings. He's designed our personalities. He's oftentimes injected himself into our history, into our story for us to be able to just walk out our passions and manifest God through those desires, manifest heaven through those desires. Does that make sense? You, got, you hanging with me? But what I'm not saying is that we just follow our sinful passions, of course. That's not what I'm saying this morning at all. Um, but honestly, if you want to be a hedonist, you're going to have to go all the way into the heart of Jesus, aren't you? Because in his presence is the fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want the greatest pleasures in this life, if you want to do what pleases you more than anything, you're going to have to go all the way into the heart of Jesus. See, we, were, we started singing about some of this this morning. There was a real prophetic flow on, on worship, and it was that we are confident sons, confident daughters, and we can just trust our Father. He's our Abba. He's our Dad. We can run to Him. We can run with Him. Because I, I'm, I'm a father of five, and 
and I said this during worship, but I think, I don't know if anything delights me more than seeing my children laugh like crazy. You know, just those belly laughs where they can't stop. They're rolling around, they're goofing around, they're having fun. I mean, those are just amazing moments. And my phone is filled with those memories, those videos. Because no father wants this. I don't want any of my kids to walk up to me and like reverently stoop low and begin to plead with me. And I don't want any of my, my kids to say this, dad, just, just let me be your servant to do only your will. Take my mind, take my heart, take my ability to disobey you. Consume me. I am a lowly creature, unworthy to be called your child. Just use me, Dad. Use me to do great things for you. And when I, when I give my kids like a, a, a bicycle for Christmas, it's because I'm a good dad and I want them to have good things and I can't wait to see them ride that bicycle. But I don't sit them down ahead of time and you know, put on their safety gear and whatnot and look them in the eye and say, okay, the reason I gave you this bike is so that you can go door to door and sing of my glory to every single neighbor. <laughs> if that's our image of God, then we need that God to invite Jesus into his heart. <laughs> Woo! That either landed real good or real bad. I don't know which. <laughs> Jesus, he says crazy things like, I'm gentle and lowly. Like, you, can, you can come to me and trust me. If you're weary and heavy laden, you'll find rest for your souls right here. Come, come to me. I've got something for you that is so light and easy. This burden is easy. And he, Jesus would say things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He doesn't say, I'm the dictator, rule maker, and will breaker. Here's the thing. I think more Christians are afraid to step out of God's will than there are Christians who believe that they were made to take big risks in his name and manifest his kingdom. That there, that there is this fear like where, where we're, we're praying and waiting and contemplating and waiting some more for God to tell us to do something or endorse our ideas. And unfortunately, we stay in that place for too long. We're crippled by fear. See, false humility and fear of failure are best friends. It, and it might seem pious or reverent, but often we're just paralyzed by a lie that we believe about the Father. When I met Ashley, who did I meet a desire of my heart? <laughs> and guys, I prayed. Y'all are, are going to hate me for saying this. I prayed once. And I said, God, I'm going to pursue this beautiful daughter of yours unless you stop me. Yeah. <laughs> 
And boy, did I delight myself in the Lord. I delighted myself in how the Lord was manifesting in my life through this beautiful woman for, for months and months. It was just a, f- I mean, we were falling in love, the romance. I was following the desires of my heart and God never said no. God never stepped in and stopped me. Been together 15 years, five babies. Somehow we're shepherding a church. <laughs> through the amazing leading of the Holy Spirit. See, God gave me the desire of my heart. We can do amazing things with just brave risk-taking. I, I wrote a song a while ago, and it, the song's called, You Can't, Can't Out-Risk Your Faithfulness. And we used to sing a lot. I, I would get testimonies. I, I led worship at several different places. The, the song isn't like viral. It hasn't like blown up, but it's sung at a few random churches in town and one and anyway, got cool testimonies of people getting set free from just being stagnant and paralyzed by an unhealthy fear of the father and started pursuing the very desires and dreams of their heart, manifesting heaven and experiencing the abundant riches of God. <clears throat> One of the lines in it is, uh, free us from the poverty of begging for what's been given. Show us all our royalty so we can just start living. Proverbs 16.9 says this, a man makes a plan, but the Lord directs his steps. So a lot of, I think that, that can be misinterpreted, but the way that I see that, that, that verse is that I bring my plan before the Lord. A man has a plan. I have a plan. I bring it before the Lord. And it's something for him to be like, pretty good, take your first step. And then he works in that plan because he knows a lot of the ideas are completely boneheaded, right? (laughs) But he's a good dad, you know, leading me by his gentle voice. A man makes a plan, but the Lord directs his step. God is waiting for a lot of your plans, just to step out and take that first step. I think that he is just waiting for sons and daughters to swing for the fences. I think that often we, including me, I religiously steer myself away from my true passions because I think it's something that God wants me to lay down. Ironically, these are the very things that would cause us to shine so brightly that we'd be brought before kings. Notice, that's Isaiah uh, 60, by the way. Notice it says in Isaiah 60, arise and shine. Your glory has come. This is past tense. The glory has come. The light has come. The light of the world, it's in you. He lives in you now. It says arise and shine. It doesn't say arise and reflect. Because it's coming from within you. And then in verse three, it goes on to say, Kings will be drawn to the brightness of your rising. Another translation I love, it says, they will come to see your radiance. Ha, you imagine Christians just 
so happy and free and trusting the Father so much and pursuing their passions and desires so wholeheartedly, believing that even if they fail, they can't fail, they'll fail forward, believing that if they just launch out there with these crazy ideas and dreams, they'd be manifesting heaven and we'd be brought before the kings of the earth. See, ironically, it's in the pursuit of these dreams, that's where we find a lifetime of encounters instead of just an encounter of a lifetime. You want me to say, <laughs> never mind, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> no, it makes me sound too you know, into myself. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm being silly. Um, ironically, God is looking for the biggest dreamers the world has ever seen. There's a modern parable. I don't know where it come from, where it came from, uh, and and I'm gonna butcher a lot of the details. I don't even remember where I heard it the first time, but it goes something like this: uh, There was a king. He was a good king, and once a year, for about a week, he opened the courts of his palace to hear the requests of his subjects, and so people who lived within this domain were allowed to approach the king one at a time and ask for things. And sometimes the king would grant those requests. It's kind of like a yes day. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so people lined up and, uh, you know, a guy would come in and say, oh, king, oh, king, just grant me a cow. I, I need a, a healthy heifer for milk. Or, or, or the next guy would come in and say, oh, king, oh, king, you know, give, give me timber to, to help me finish building my, my barn. Or, oh, king, oh, king, settle this boundary dispute between me and my neighbor. You know, if you, if you look upon me with favor, and the king is just sitting there kind of emotionless, you know, on his, on his throne, just listening, and he looks almost bored or annoyed. And then comes in this young man who says, Oh, king, give me 2,000 acres on the west side of the hill. Send me away with 10 oxen, plows, and harvesting tools. And then the king begins to lean forward. Like he, he seems really, he's got this curious look on his face. And the guy goes on, and I need 10 bags of wheat, corn, and barley seeds, and I need a year's salary for 10 workers. I'll defend the west side of our town while I develop the land and provide agriculture. And people who are in the court hearing this are offended or uh, appalled. They're, they're thinking, this guy's presumptuous. How dare he? Like, who does he think he is? The king hasn't granted one request for small things all day. How in the world is he gonna give this? And then the king says, finally, a request worthy of a king's time. You can have all that you've asked for to start your industry. Finally, a request big enough for the king's ears. See, God wants us to be ourselves. It's the Mr. Rogers message today. <laughs> There's so much power locked up in this truth of just being 100% you. You know, when, when Goliath showed up and challenged the armies of Israel, uh, David came on the scene and he was already kind of a wonder boy. He played his guitar for the king. Like, it's a big deal. Dude could play the guitar and sing and demons left Saul alone. That's awesome. 
But here comes into the king's tent this skinny musician who says, let me kill him. And Saul, he's looking at David and he's like, you're a kid. You're you're an emo musician kid. (laughs) And that monster has been fighting since he was younger than you. It's like, no, I can't let you go out there and die. And David's like, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. He'll be just like that. Let, let me at him, coach. Let me at him. Put me in. <clears throat> and Saul is like, well, 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 at least like put on my armor. You can't go out there dressed like a shepherd or shirtless or whatever. You can't go out there like this. And David tries on Saul's armor and says, it doesn't fit. All I need is my slingshot in the name of the Most High. And when he, he takes the armor off, essentially he's saying, Saul, you're, you're like a dad to me, but I can't wear your anointing. I can't wear your gifting. I can't wear your ministry. I have to be me. I have to do what I know how to do. And what I know how to do is sling some stones. This armor is going to get in the way of that. When Goliath was challenging Israel, they didn't need false humility. Israel didn't need false humility in that moment. They didn't need someone coming up to Saul thinking, I wonder what Saul wants to hear me say to him. They needed a kid who loved slinging stones. They needed a kid who was really good with a slingshot because he enjoyed using his slingshot. For years and years out in those sheep fields or whatever, He's either hitting his sheep for fun or hitting trees or whatever he's doing or warding off wolves. He's gotten really good at that slingshot. He's very confident. The last time I saw my spiritual mentor, you guys know the end of the Goliath story, right? He sunk that stone right into his head, knocked him down. I don't need to go into that again. Um, And transition. So uh, (laughs) the last time I I saw my spiritual mentor in person, he told me something that I have been chewing on ever since. It was a few months ago. And he said this, he doesn't try to manifest Jesus anymore. He said that he has noticed the most power in his life when he's no longer trying to manifest Jesus, but he's doing it accidentally. And that happens most often when he is just living his life as he and the Holy Spirit see fit. Can I get an amen? See, like, it's, it's almost like when we when we like accidentally prophesy someone back into the kingdom or like when we accidentally go encourage someone and it breaks the power of like a soul trauma in their life or when we go and hug a demon out of someone, we're like, we're not trying, we're just being us. (laughs) You guys like hugging a demon out of someone. (laughs) A spiritual mentor, he had um, a ministry school for a while and he had interns and um, he would meet weekly with his interns to talk about life and like how it's going and what they should be doing. And, um, 
and he's he he's sitting down with this one intern, and he he asks her, "So, um, what do you want to do with your life?" And she says, "I want to travel the world, bringing people to Jesus. You know, writing worship songs that just go all over, like just see salvations." And and Brad, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, "No, you don't." And she's like a little offended, like, yeah, I mean, I want, I want to save souls and write worship songs that go around the world. I want to travel, like, I want to see amazing things. I want to like, do this for, for the king, for the kingdom. He's like, mm, no, I don't think you do. And, and she gets upset, and, she, and Brad's like, hey, just take a couple days and ask God what the actual desires of your heart are. Like go back, maybe go back to when you were a kid or a, a teenager, some of the things you, you dreamed about doing, and then come back and tell me what you really wanna do with your life. And so a couple days go by, she comes back in, they have the same conversation, and she says, all right, <clears throat> I know what I wanna do. I wanna write music for major motion pictures, like blockbusters. I want to be the first chair flautist on the symphonic orchestra in town. And I, and I, want, to, I want to travel the world doing these things. And Brad is like, there it is. For the rest of your internship, I don't want you to do any of that religious junk you told me. I want you to focus on those desires that God planted in your heart since you were a little kid. And so she does. She checks in with him every once in a while, but she's like a ghost at church. She's not going to services. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> uh, don't take this where it shouldn't go, these, this teaching. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> um, she picks up her flute and hires a tutor because she hasn't played, like she's really good back in the day, but she hasn't played in a while. She set it down because she wanted to sing on the worship team or play guitar and you know, go on mission trips or whatever. So she picks up her flute again and gets a tutor and she gets really good again. She remembers how to do it. Uh, a few months go by, she tries out for the, it's a big city, a big city orchestra. She makes it in. So she's sitting on the row with the other flautists. And as time goes by, she sets herself apart. She works her way up the ranks. This is less than, less than nine months. This all happened in one school year. She is first chair in the symphonic orchestra, which is what she wanted. She is so happy. She's preaching the gospel with a smile on her face. People are asking her what's different about her because she's shining, right? She's seeing people led to the Lord by her in this place of her desire, like pursuing her dream. Another guy on the orchestra approaches her and says, hey, I'm uh, doing a little thing for um, a, a movie. Um, we need a, a, a flute player. Um, and you know, don't, don't tell a lot of people about this. It's like a Jerry Bruckheimer blockbuster that's supposed to be coming out. And they need a flautist for some of the soundtrack. And she accepts the invitation. And so she is actually now credited 
in the movie for playing the flute on a major motion picture. What was the other thing that she wanted? That. She's now like getting notoriety. She gets to travel. She's just so happy people are getting set free and saved left and right. What I'm saying is that maybe God has hidden a lifetime of encounters in the place of the desires that he birthed in you. Even Jesus wants you to be just like you. Not try to be just like him. Now hear me out. What I'm, what I'm saying is that when you are 100% yourself is when he gets to flow through you being 100% himself. When you are you, free from fear and just shining like a child in his house, he is erupting from you all over the place. You guys picking up on what I'm spilling here? When you take a drink of Jesus, you turn into a Care Bear Stare River. I think we're actually all on a journey back to childlikeness. I'm, I look at my kids sometimes and I'm just jealous of how happy and free they are. <laughs> like, oh man, I wish I didn't care what people thought. <laughs> Guys, when I, when I took that morning walk 17 years ago out of my apartment complex, I was just following a desire. It was a light and easy yoke, and I got to accidentally manifest the saving power of God for that woman's life. And looking back on it now, I, d I don't even know if it was necessarily the Holy Spirit who told me to walk out that door and go on a walk with me, or if I was just thinking, ah, it would be great to go on a walk with the Holy Spirit right now. Either way, can I get the worship team back up? In Acts 15, the uh, disciples have some really big decisions to make. And the way that they made these decisions would probably offend most Christians today. I mean, you guys know, they like, did a coin toss to like pick up an apostle. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh Lord, bless those coin toss. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they, they, they wrote in, in uh, Acts 15, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to only ask these things of you. Abstain from foods, sacrifice to idols, and sexual immorality. I, really? It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to direct an entire new church plant to abstain from sexual immorality and not eat food sacrificed to idols. You know, if, I bet if any one of us were writing those instructions to a city, it would be 10 pages long. That's what I would do. I would think, how do we keep these people from going off the guardrails? Like, I mean, they're, they're, they were polytheists last week. You know, they were worshiping Zeus. <laughs> they're temple prostitutes. Like, what do we do here? Like... <laughs> but it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Because they have so much faith in the Holy Spirit to lead them that they're not afraid to micromanage the journey of someone else. Guys, this is not a traditional church teaching. 
It's because if Christians get a hold of it, they can't be controlled. I believe that there are dreams in your hearts, desires that you have shelved, that we have shelved, that I have shelved. There are dreams in my heart that I have shelved because the religious spirit masqueraded as the Holy Spirit. These are risks that we want to take but we're either too scared or we think they're too big or that God wants us to do something else with our life. And I want those things to be resurrected this morning. That's beautiful, Cindy. Keep doing that. There's one last story that I just wanna leave you guys with. It's the parable of um, the talents. You know, Jesus talks about this master who gives one servant 10 talents, another three and another one. And the guy with the 10 goes and invests it and makes a bunch more. And the guy with three does about the same thing. But the guy with one hides it. And when the master comes to, you know, collect the uh, profits that these servants made with his money, you guys know that the guy with the 10 talents comes forward and he's great job. Here's some more. The guy with the three talents comes forward and says, I've made so much more. And the master says, great job. Here's some more. Then the guy with one says, I knew you to be a harsh, hard man reaping where you don't sow. And so I was afraid and I buried your talent. See, Here it is, you can have it back. Did you know that I couldn't find any reference in scripture of God reaping where he doesn't sow? In fact, it's just the opposite. He only reaps where he sows. I can't find him to be a harsh and hard man. I find him to be gentle and kind and patient patient, his gentleness makes us great. That story has been used to control people at times through fear of failure, imparting a performance spirit to go and produce something because that master's going to come back and take an account of what you've done. But what the Lord is actually saying in this parable about the father is that if you think he is a harsh, hard man reaping where he doesn't sow, then you will hide your talents. But he is not a harsh, hard man. And you can take the things he's given you and fearlessly risk with them. Can we stand? Can I have the ministry team come forward? We've been talking a lot about the Father the last few weeks because there's like, it's the most fun thing to talk about. He's amazing. And I feel like what's been happening is that we're slowly and steadily getting delivered of the lies that we believed about God. Today, during ministry time, If you feel like 
this message spoke to you about being paralyzed with fear or stuck or afraid to fail, if you have dreams in your heart that you've set aside and you feel like you made a mistake, if you feel like you're in a prison of delay, I want you to come forward and receive prayer because I believe that God is gonna breathe on those dreams and bring them back to life in our hearts this morning, amen? So while I'm praying, y'all just come on forward. Holy Spirit, we love you. You're so kind. You're a good father, father. Thank you for sending the son to show us exactly what you're like. We ask God that you would have the dreams of our heart come back alive, the very passions and desires that you've placed in us that we have pushed down, Lord. I ask that they would spring back to life. I ask that there would be testimonies from this church of people who started businesses, companies, people who went after that hopeful spouse that they wanted, people that threw fear aside went after you. We ask for the testimonies, God, of your kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven through the people in this room who take risks for your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.